This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Tonight we're gonna, we're gonna again continue our, our series on what I call security measures, a little bit different theme tonight. So let me pray just a, a quick word of prayer. Let's prepare our hearts. Hope you're there with your Bibles. If you're not get your Bibles, we'll put them on the screen, but it's always good for you to look through your own Bible, begin to look those things up. Let's pray and then we're, we're gonna jump right into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear, to learn, to grow, to speak your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher. Thank you, Father, we have a capacity and a heart to hear. And we thank you that you can speak words of life and strength to our heart. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. A number of years ago, in fact, it was 1969, there was a, a song that hit the country charts and it lasted for five weeks at number one. The song was A Boy Named Sue. Now, I'm not as, as much up on country music and I certainly wasn't in 1969 when I was nine years old, but A Boy Named Sue was such a fascinating song that I remember it even as a child. It was a story that Johnny Cash sang about a man who named his little boy. He he'd abandoned his son, but before he left, he named the boy Sue. And the boy grew up with a name like Sue and he was embarrassed of that name. So he grew up fighting and he fought everybody and he, and he wound up this, this really tough guy because of his name. Then the story of the song goes that he meets his dad later on and he's, he almost kills his dad, but his dad said, you ought to thank me for naming you Sue. I knew I wouldn't be around, but I wanted, I wanted you to grow up tough. Now, we hear that song today and some of you are thinking, I just can't believe that song was even popular. Well, it actually was. And uh, the end of it actually is funny because when Johnny Cash is singing, he says, and when I grow up, when I have a son, I'm going to name him, he said, Bill or George, anything, but Sue, I hate that name. But it's interesting, the theme behind it. And the theme behind it was that this father wanted the, his son to grow up with a, a, a fighting spirit. Now, I, I, again, I, I don't think using your fist all the way through your life is necessarily going to help you get ahead. But the idea of being a fighter is something that, and especially as we deal with difficult times, I really believe it's something that we need to bring into a, a, a mindset. What I'm, I'm calling this message a fighting mindset because it definitely is part of our Christian walk. Let's look at our, our text scripture in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 10 through 11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, again, there's no need for armor unless there is a threat present. In other words, I never have to feel like I need to put on armor to go to my mailbox. I live in a pretty safe neighborhood. I don't need, I don't need armor for that. But if I was in a hot spot, if I was in a place where there was some problems, then obviously there's armor. Our, our armed forces, they understand being in a hot spot, being in a dangerous place. And so Paul is writing to the church and he says, yeah, we gotta be strong. We talked about that last week, be strong in the Lord. And then he talks about standing against the schemes of the devil. Now, sometimes people will go, well, you know, Alan, when the Bible talks about the devil, it's metaphorically speaking. I don't believe it's metaphorically speaking. Jesus spoke of him as a person. The Bible gives us the history of, of the devil or Satan. And it, just because you don't believe in him doesn't mean he's not real. But Paul, very educated man, brilliant man, 
was writing to the church at Ephesians, and he said, look, he said, there are schemes against the devil. He said, we need the armor of God that we can stand against it. That word stand against means to resist. So we're going to stand against the schemes. He's scheming against mankind, and we're learning how to stand against him. And that's important for us. And it's, Paul really is summing up the whole book of Ephesians, which is a great book. And he's summing it up by saying, we need to be strong and you need to put on the armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, we live in a spiritually dark environment. And I think that's important to know. We're talking about armor. Why in the world would I need armor? Why would I need to have armor on? I, I don't believe that, that the Holy Spirit would have inspired Paul to write this if there wasn't a need for it. And the fact that we are living in an environment that's spiritually dark is, is well, it's very evident to us today. But we look at the evil that's in the world and we understand that the Bible is referring to spiritual darkness. Now, when Jesus actually appeared to Paul when he was still Saul before his conversion, Jesus gave him a, an interesting word. It actually is found in Acts, the 26th chapter, verse 18. Jesus said that he was calling Paul to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This was Jesus talking directly to Paul and he's talking to him about what his calling was. He said, now I'm, I'm sending you out there to, turn, to open their eyes. Well, it had to be spiritualized because obviously we're talking to people whose eyes are open. So if we understand that the Bible, when the Bible is speaking, it speaks from a spiritual standpoint. There's natural practical applications but these are spiritual truths and the spiritual truths are what trickle down into all areas of our lives. It's talking about the environment that we're living in. You say, well, I thought Jesus defeated Satan. He did defeat him, but we're still, there's still people in darkness. And so our objective, that's one reason we have a church is to help people open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power, that word actually power means, and from the authority of Satan to God. Now that's a, man, that's a great word right there. Satan is no longer an authority in our lives. I've used this illustration in the past. I think it's a great one. But if, if you, let's say that you, that you had a job and it was, it was a bad job and you had a bad boss and you just decided one day that you, that you're going to quit and you got another job. And so you, you're on your new job. You've been on your new job for two weeks and you wake up early one morning and you're drinking your coffee and you look down and your phone is ringing and it's your old boss. And you, you see him and your heart kind of jumps because he's a screamer and you're like, oh, what does he want? And you pick up the phone and, and answer it and he starts screaming. He's cussing and screaming and where are you? And you need to get in here and do this. And, and at first it has you rattled because he's, he's just so angry, but then the thought dawns on you like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not my boss. You don't, I don't work for you anymore. You can't tell me. It's like my kids used to say, you're not the boss of me and you can't tell me what to do. And so that reality dawns on you and you have the joy of going, I, I got a word for you, uh, click. You know, that's the only thing about cell phones is you just lose that the joy of the slamming the William with the old phones that you could slam them, cell phones you just have to click off. Not your boss. 
When you made Jesus Christ your Lord, the moment you came into God's kingdom, here's the good news. You came out of darkness into God's marvelous light. You've come into God's kingdom and you're not under Satan's authority. We're under God's authority. But so the idea is, well, if I'm under God's authority, why have I still had to deal with the schemes of the enemy? Because he still has schemes and plans and his idea is to keep us from understanding all the good things that God has done for us and the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul is writing, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against that. Here's what we begin then to understand, that there is, there is a spiritual battle or a spiritual environment that's adversarial and our fight is not necessarily, well, it's not necessarily with people. In fact, Paul continues to write, and this is from the Ephesians 6:12 from the New Living Translation. It says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So again, even though Satan was defeated, he still schemes against mankind. But, but the, the beautiful thing is, he may scheme, he may have, he may have plans, but we have an answer for it. And again, the scriptures are, are giving us wisdom as to what to do. First Peter and five, first Peter is writing to the church as well. And he has some great words for the church. This is what he says in first Peter five, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, again, that's a military term, adversary. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So the, the objective with the enemy is we resist him. We're not, we're not trying to defeat him. He's already defeated. We're resisting what he's trying to do, what he's trying to work in our lives. And a lot of those resistance, a lot of that resistance is going to be resisting in, in our thoughts and feelings and emotions. So when, when Peter's writing, he said, be sober. Uh, one translation says, be alert, be on guard. It didn't say be scared. It says, be alert and on guard. We have an enemy and he's, he's walking about like a roaring lion. Didn't say he was walking about devouring everyone. He walks around as a roaring lion, looking whom he may devour. And we just simply have to be aware of him, not scared of him. The alertness and awareness, again, goes back to that, that fighting mentality that we're not just in a passive environment, that we, we have to have pretty much a mindset that says there's some resistance, there's darkness, there's evil in the world, but it's not going to overcome me. I'm just simply going to be alert. A couple of years ago, we did a, a redo of our house, and so we had to move out, and we stayed uh, with Joy's mom, actually stayed in her house for a little bit. Joy was on the back porch one day. I was not, not there. She was on the back porch getting ready to walk into the back of the house and, and a, a big copperhead was, was right there curled up at her feet. She, she virtually stepped over it. And, and then she was, of course, so scared, she backed out of it and, and, and went running around to the outside. She had to grab our, our dog who was just going nuts. And so she reminds me that she saved our poodle Boudreaux's life but she grabbed the dog, she runs around, she ran the gate, but when she, when she ran around, she, she left the door open to the house. And when she came back, the door was open and the snake was gone. Now that was a concerning thing to me. 
Doors open, snake's gone. I said, where'd the snake go? She said, I don't know where the snake went. I said, could the snake be in the house? She said, well, it could be in the house because I left the door open. So, of course, I'm just glad she wasn't bitten by the snake. It's no time to chastise her for, for leaving the door open. But can you imagine how aware I am walking around that house? I'm walking around that. Every time I would get up to get a drink of water or go anywhere in that house, man, I had my phone flashlight out. And I'm, I'm looking. I'm alert. I'm aware. You say, well, were you, were you scared? That I hate snakes. And I'm aware, of, I'm aware that there could be a snake in the house. That's a, a, an, an awareness. Now, it wasn't bringing good feelings. When Paul said, when Paul said, and Peter said, be alert, be watchful. Well, if there's a snake in the house, you know you're watchful. He just said, be alert, be watchful. This is a mentality that we have to understand as Christians. We can't get passive. We can't just get like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a whatever world until I die and go to heaven. No, we're in a, a, an environment where it's, it's, it's some tension. And it says, be alert and be watchful. We don't have to be f- afraid. And then it talks about resisting the enemy. So Paul said, you resist him steadfast in the faith. And so again, Jesus defeating, we resist him. And a lot of that resisting is going to come over into the area of, of resisting in our thoughts, resisting uh, the emotions that we can feel. Have you ever had one of those days where you're just, man, you, you, you feel horrible and you don't even know why. And it, it, after a while, you might want to realize, man, there, I, I don't know what's going on, but this is not God's plan for me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist that. Or maybe you have thoughts. And you, you know to resist thoughts. You have crazy thoughts. You know that when crazy thoughts come, you know to resist those thoughts. I, I think it's not the, the crazy thought. When I say crazy thoughts, I'm talking about you're driving up over a bridge and the thought says, drive off the bridge. That's a crazy thought. You know that. So you resist that thought. It's the more subtle thoughts. God doesn't love you. You're not going to make it. You're, no one cares about you. You don't have any value or purpose. Those are subtle thoughts that can, be, that can come in our lives and we have to begin to resist those. Why? Because those can diminish the good things God has already done for us and wants to do and, and work through our lives. God's got great plans for us. And, but, and they're strong and they're full of life and full of joy. But if we don't resist some of those thoughts, we'll buy into that. That's why when, when Peter was talking, he said, you resist him steadfast in your faith. It's a, it's a, a fighter's mentality. And it's not like I'm, I'm not fighting, trying to win. I've already been made a winner in Christ. And I'm resisting the defeated one who's lying to me and trying to tell me things that just aren't true. Paul had, Paul had a great idea. Peter had a great idea. He said, resist him, stain the faith. He said, well, all this fighting, Alan, uh, th- does that mean that we're, we're adversarial with people? I want you to hear me real clearly. No, no, we're not adversarial with people. Paul said, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. He said, our, our biggest fight is a spiritual fight. When it comes to people, we're, we're to be kind and compassionate to them. In the same book, the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, 
in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's, it's an interesting contrast for a believer is that we're resisting and firm against any of the works of darkness and the lies and the things that are out there that are not of God. But yet then on the other hand, we're kind and compassionate and loving towards people and tenderhearted towards people. And so it's a, we're, we're gentle warriors and, and there's times to fight, but it's not with people. Now I realize that I'm talking to people who have been cooped up at home and I'm, I'm hoping that, that you understand that there's, there's no condemnation there. But the objective is, the goal for us as a Christian is we're hard to resist the enemy, we're self-disciplined with ourselves, and we're merciful towards other people. So as we're, as we're looking at that, that fighting mentality, we're not fighting people. Our, our war is not with people. I know some of you think that your war is with the Republicans or your war is with the Democrats. That's not who we're warring against. Our biggest concern is the enemy and the lies that he tries to, to move into our lives. So, as Paul used the fighting military metaphor, this is something, again, because I know some people go, you know what, I'm a lover, I'm not a fighter. No, in, in this area, as a Christian, there is a fight of faith. In fact, Paul told this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he's saying, we fight the good fight of faith. In fact, at the end of his life, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I've, I've finished my course. I kept the faith. So Paul constantly used that metaphor. He, refused, he, he re referred to, uh, to Christians as soldiers. He actually referred to some of his fellow ministers as soldiers in the Lord. He told Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier. So we can't lose the, the idea that there is that type of soldier discipline and mindset that's in the Christian life. And you know, when here we are, man, we're dealing with stuff and we're dealing with, 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 with thoughts and negative stuff that's coming at us. I think we can understand it's a fight to stay on the positive side well, all this negative stuff's coming. When you're wondering about all the what ifs, the fight, the fight of faith is a fight to believe God in the middle of, of contradictory evidence. Things that just don't, don't seem to line up. It's a fight to keep your joy. It's a fight to rejoice in hope, like we said, and, and a fight to stay persevering even though we go through troubles. You know, in America, we don't it's very rare that we deal with things like this. The, the last big thing like this I can remember was 9-11. Was and so when we hit these times, we're kind of like, what, what's going on? What's going on? No, this is, this is part of living in the last days. And I'm hoping that we're not going to, you know, continually see things like this. That's my prayer for God's protection and grace still on our country. But we're, you know, in the last days, Paul said, perilous times, times of stress will come. So we have to have the kind of mentality that says, you know what, I'm going to fight the fight of faith. Now, let me give you some areas that will be helpful to fight in. Here's some just examples of fighting the good fight of faith. For example, to believe in God, even though we do not see him. That's the first one right there. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
We've got to believe that. Some people say, well, prove to me there's a God. That's not, that's not how it works. How it works is we believe there's a God, then he's revealed in our lives. But we have to believe him even though we can't see him. And so, but that's our, our, our first step of faith. We fight that fight of faith. And with the voices of so many claiming that God's not real, he doesn't exist, that becomes a fight to go, no, I believe in God. That's one of the things I think I miss most about not having services together. Because when we come together, we bring in a, 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 a faith, a corporate faith, where you bring some and I bring some. And when we get together, man, it's just a, it's a celebration that we believe God, that he's good, that he's helping people, that he can make a difference in our lives. And, and that's, that's refreshing. As I'm speaking right now to a very empty auditorium, I love the fact that I get a chance to speak to you, but I miss having you here because we all bring something together and I trust we'll be together soon. But that's the first fight, to believe that God is real. Here's the second area, to fight the good fight of faith. To believe he loves us absent of any warm feelings. We're so used to hugs and so used to being loved on that we have to believe the love that God has for us. So how in the world do I believe that, Alan? I believe what Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I believe that. And I believe that God loves me even though I can't necessarily feel it. So when those thoughts come or those feelings like God has abandoned me, God has left me, that's where you, the fight of faith comes in where you have to go, oh no, oh no, he hasn't. My God loves me. He paid an awesome price for me. I belong to him. I'm his child. See, that's, a, that's where that fight of faith comes in. Here's another one to believe that he will help us so we don't even have to be afraid. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite scriptures is found in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. It says this, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now that's right there. I love that verse. I love because it says we can boldly say this. He said he would never leave us and never forsake us. You say, Alan, I can't feel, I can't feel him. I can't feel his presence. I believe this is the fight of faith. The fight of faith says, regardless of how I feel or what I see, I believe God's with me. I believe he's helping me. And I can boldly say, the Lord's my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What can man do to me? That's a powerful statement, isn't it? The Lord's my helper. And we can boldly say it. Now, right there is, is part of, of where the faith fight comes in, fighting a fight of faith. It's not with our fist. It's not with physical strength. It's with our words and our heart. This is where we begin to say things like, I know God loves me. I know God's going to help us. Because you realize that whatever you talk about a lot gets bigger in your life. Years ago when, when Matt was very, very young, I think he was about two years old, we had we had had a bad report concerning him and his physical health and well-being. And I remember that Joy and I got in the car after having received that report. And we were, we were going to our, to our real special date. We didn't, this was when, this was a long time ago, when, when we, we didn't have really big dates, but we were going to Papacitos. And for those of you who are not from the Houston area, Papacitos is a very primo Mexican restaurant. And we were, we were going there. We'd been eating, we'd been eating at, uh, 
trying to think of the other place, wherever it is where you raise the flag. We've been at Poncho's. We've been raising the flag in Poncho's, but we're going to Papacito's. We're excited. It was a date night, but we get in the car and we'd had a bad report. And we had a bad report what the doctor was saying about Matt. And we, uh, we talked that problem and we talked it all the way down to Papacito's through the chips and the salsa and the main course and the sopapillas. And we, we talked about it later, one of the worst meals we ever had. And it was one of the worst meals, not because the food was bad, food was great. It was a worst meal because we kept talking the problem. And the more you talk the problem, it seems like the bigger it gets. That's why the Bible said magnify the Lord, did not say magnify the problem. That's where the fight of faith comes in. So easy to look at negative circumstances and keep talking that. Instead of saying, God's going to help us. The Lord's good. The Lord's faithful. The Lord's helping us out. Had a friend call me today. He said, man, are you stressed out? And I said, no. I said, we're doing good. God's good. He's helping us. See, that's a, I, I could have talked about all the stuff's going on, but I choose to talk about what God's doing. I believe he's with us. I believe he's for us. That's what I'm going to talk about. That's fighting the good fight of faith. Here's a, let me give you a couple more. To, to believe that his Holy Spirit is in us and is greater than anything coming against us. 1 John 4, 4 says this, you're of God, little children, means you're born of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who's in the world. Man, isn't that a good one? It says, you know what? The one who's in me is bigger than this virus and bigger than the problems all around me. And then the last one and of a great example of how to, how to fight the good fight of faith and where the fight is, is to believe we're stronger than we think because we're born of God. Let me show you a wonderful verse. It's in 1 John 4. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When we said and made the decision that says, I'm going to believe God. We were born of God. You, when you said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. When you did that, you were born of God. And when you were born of God, you became an overcomer. So many times we think, Helen, I can't fight. I'm just not a fighter. I'm, not, I'm, I'm too weak. I'm just, I don't have that temperament. No, this says right here, you're born of God. You're an overcomer because we're born of Him. So that's good news. So you're stronger than you think you are. And that's where you, and when the thoughts of you're too weak, you're cowardly, you're this, you say, no, 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 no. I might've been who I used to be, but I'm born of God. Let me give you one good example about fighting a fight of faith. And I think this is one all of us deal with. It's the fight for peace. I heard a, a guy say during the Super Bowl, you got to fight for your right to party. Well, that's a 1980s song. I, I got another one. You got to fight for your right for God's peace in your life. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When Jesus was saying he gave us his peace, he gave us his relationship with God. When, now that we have a, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And if we have peace with God, then we have the peace of God. But it's of the heart. Jesus said, it's not like the world gives you. The world gives you peace on the outside. Jesus said, I'll give you peace in your heart. So in other words, you could be going through some really difficult times all around you, but there's peace on the inside. But then he said something really key. He said, let not your heart be troubled. So in other words, you don't let it. You stop it. 
You, you resist the fear and the agitation that would come against you. It's just when all this stuff broke loose and we couldn't have services, I remember I was just driving home and some thoughts began to hit me and they weren't good. They were the what if thoughts. What if this happens? What if that happened? What if? And I realized, well, no, no, no. I refused to think about that. I'm like, Lord, you're going to help us. Thank you that I have your peace. Don't let. I grew up in a home. We moved out to the, out of the city limits when I was about uh, 14. And uh, my parents built their dream house. We had some acreages. We weren't a nice home on the, on the lake. And we had dogs. And back, back in that day, you could just let the dogs kind of wander. We had two dogs. I had a, a real scruffy looking poodle and I had a Great Dane, big Great Dane. And this Great Dane was uh, way close to 150 pounds. Could look me in the eye when, when he stood with his paws on my shoulder. He was a big dog. And so we let them roam. And they, they, they ran around the neighborhood, had, had a great time. But when my parents built their house, my mom is an interior designer and she, she liked to decorate. She decorated, this was 1973, in white and black. But we had a white shag carpet in our living room. Now, you, you, that, that will date you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up but, and Google it. But shag carpet, we used to have to rake it. And it was white. So you can imagine a dog with huge paws on a white shag carpet. But let me tell you something about my mom. My mom refused to let those dogs touch that carpet. In fact, they would come up to the edge of that carpet and they would stop and they, they would barely put their paws, just touch the edge. They were scared because my mom refused. Man, she'd walk, no. And so those dogs, after a while, they understood, uh-uh, mom's not gonna let us on, on this carpet. You know, that's exactly what we have to do when the thoughts of fear and agitation and, and, and what's, what's happening, you have to go, no. No, no, I'm not going to let you ruin the peace I have with God. I got a good God. He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of our family. We're going to be all right. I got the peace of God in my heart. I'm going to pray for you, but before we do, I'm going to ask you this. Do you, if you're here and you don't have a relationship, maybe you're watching, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. We're going to say just a very simple prayer. You can bow your heads. You can click. If you're on one of our live streams, you can click. But we're going to say this prayer. If you've never asked Jesus your Lord or you know you need to come back to him, we'll say this prayer together. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.